Hello, everyone. Welcome into Living Liberty Today. I'm your host, Charlie Earle. Uh, this is episode 78, Immunity. Yes, immunity. More and more people in the health uh, care industries and so forth, and even pundits who have no health bona fides, are asking, what's the case with natural immunity? Why doesn't the NIH and the CDC address that as they put out their, you know, voluminous or volumes of, of research on where the COVID and so forth is taking us? And I think that's a valid that's a valid question. You would assume that if you've had it, or at least a variant of it, at some level, you would have a natural immunity. It may not be perfect, but uh, it may be to the point where it lessens your risk in case of a, a later infection going forward. And given the fact that we've seen some of the Omicron variant and maybe the new ones coming out, the many hundreds that they'll find going forward, jumps through the vaccine and becomes at least asymptomatic on some people and even symptomatic on others uh, who've had the entire vaccination process. It would seem to me that that would be the perfect opportunity to look at natural immunity. If people who have gone through and survived the COVID in the past, many of them perhaps even being unaware of it, may have been asymptomatic back two years ago or nearly two years ago when this thing popped out, who may have gotten it then before it became uh, visible and people were aware of it, may have gotten and developed an immunity. It seems to me that this latest trend of going through the vaccinations to uh, to get people involved with it, that we might look at the difference between natural immunity and the vaccination, I should say, inoculation immunity, and then add to that the value of therapeutics. We don't see anything on that either, and I've long lamented since this whole clown show started that I believe that the health industry, and I'm talking about county boards of health, city boards of health, states, feds, all the different fed bureaus and agencies who have their fingers and toes jammed into this, this whole thing, should have been encouraging supplemental immunity like vitamin D and vitamin C and selenium and all the various aspects of ways that we can enhance our immunity. I know personally that's something I did as a type 1 diabetic who's 75 years old. I recognize uh, that I may have been at risk or high at risk. In fact, you know, every little pronouncement from the annals and the halls of government said that I was in a high-risk comorbidity group. And uh, since I didn't exactly want to, wanted to be one of the morbidity people, even though it doesn't scare me, but... It, I didn't want to be one of those who laid out flat in a box sometime in the middle of this whole thing when my family couldn't visit me in the hospital or come to my grave site. Um, I, I anteed up on my, uh, on my supplement base. I'd, I've always, or at least recent years, I've taken supplements uh, since I've gotten into my dotage. And so I amped it up a little bit to enhance my immunity. Now, I believe I've had the COVID at least twice. I've had it once that we know of, and I believe I had it earlier than that. I've survived it both times with a period of 
three or four days where I could do hardly anything but sleep. I'd get up and I'd work at my desk for an hour or so, and then I'd have to go take a nap for 90 minutes or two hours uh, as my focus started to, to, to wane and my vision started to blur, and I just flat out exhausted. So that lasted for a period of three or four days, let's say three and a half days, and now I've gotten to the point where now I can work till noon. Pretty, I get up at five, work till noon, and uh, and then take a, a nap, a longer nap than I'm used to in the past. I used to take 20 minutes. Now it takes maybe an hour. But then I'm ready to go again, and I can last till my 9.30, 10 p.m. bedtime. So it has had an impact on me. But the point is with my comorbidity and my age, and then add in the fact that I've been taking my supplements. Uh, I'm not dead yet. Okay. So uh, I don't know. I just think that the CDC and the NIH and all these other agencies should be addressing the therapeutics and the preventatives and things of that nature more diligently than they do, which makes me suspect, suspect them and distrust them. Okay. Another aspect of immunity I'd like to briefly discuss is the immunity our elites have when it comes to wrongdoing and accountability. We've seen it time and time again. Somebody in government has a monumental screw-up, and sometimes for nefarious reasons, not always because of incompetence, but sometimes because they intentionally uh, messed up things. And yet there's no accountability. Um, they get immunity in, in, from, from justice or whatever, immunity from paying for their crimes or paying for their incompetence. Meanwhile, sitting in jails in Washington, D.C., are people who supposedly are accused of being insurrectionists and seditionists who have not been charged. Uh if they have been charges for misdemeanors and yet here they sit in jail, just languishing away. It sounds to me like a nefarious scheme there to just stamp out and beat down the opposition. I think where they may be miscalculating here, I'm talking about those elites that we've discussed earlier. I think where they may be miscalculating is certainly a, a, a portion of those people being held in these rough conditions are going to knuckle and bow down and apologize to the state for even showing up in the nation's capital at 10 miles square, you know, just shouldn't, they shouldn't have the, 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 the gall to show up in that 10 mile square when somebody's speaking or other people are assembling and they're going to bow down and they're going to, uh, you know, object abjectly, um, decry their own efforts and their own actions. But there's going to be another percentage of them, probably a smaller one, but nevertheless, who are going to come out of this fiasco meaner than cat crap and madder than hell. And we don't know because their their correspondence with those of us on the outside is, is zero. But I suspect there will be an element that comes out or their family members or loved ones who are sitting at home uh, decrying this whole episode and what's going on there. That's just one example. There, there are all kinds of injustices performed by the elites on common people all across the country. 
yet the so-called elites, and they're elites because they think they are, the so-called elites uh, get away with basically immunity. Well, I've got some articles I want to share with you about investing. I should, I should remind you that uh, when I give you some of these articles, I'm not giving you investment advice. That's not my intention. What I'm trying to do is just give you avenues you may want to explore on your own. And the sources that I provide are, are not what I'd say the be-all, end-all. But what they may do is open an avenue of inquiry for you, a way of exploring these things and seeing if it's something that you might be interested in or learning more about. And so I'm going to start with Luke Lango's Hypergrowth Investing from Saturday the 29th. And uh, basically, Luke talks about how to make 10 times the returns in small cap stock breakout of 2022. Now, he has a very valid point there that as a company grows bigger and bigger, it's harder to have geometric increases in size and profitability. You know, there is a point where growing bigger becomes more efficient, but there's another point where growing bigger becomes more unwieldy and you're unable to react to the market and a change in the markets and all that kind of thing. Basically, the old line is you get set in your ways and you can't adapt. So the small caps are a real opportunity, beliefs for people, because what you're going to have is maybe not so much income growth, but value growth, growth in the value of the stock, because you have a tendency when you're smaller to roll your money back into the business so you can grow and expand, you know, in the capital expenditures and things of that nature. I bring this up because I think it's valid. And the only problem is it takes a heck of a lot of work to to get in the small cap realm and identify identify who are going to be the winners and losers. So you better have a broad portfolio, maybe a little bit in each one of a number of them. So your odds of getting the winner uh, or a winner or two, and one or two winners can offset six or eight losers. So you have an opportunity to win. So it's going to take some research and stuff on your part. But before you even do that, pick your sectors. Identify a couple of sectors where you can become reasonably conversant and understand them. And so you can really get a look at the true potential of these small caps going forward. And uh, I uh, I did practically, well, with a few exceptions in the early years, I did practically all small cap stuff because I was looking on that next big winner. And I had it three times and sold it back each time. So I'm not altogether smart. That's why I don't give advice. Uh, coming from inside Wall Street on Saturday with Nami Prince, um, she basically turns it all over to, and, and this is one I highly recommend to you, she turns over the whole column uh, to Jeff Brown, uh, the editor of the, of the Bleeding Edge, and he has a column called What 99% of Investors Don't Understand About NFTs. And I guarantee you, it's uh, it's about 13 pages long off the printer. You know, obviously, you can get it done in seven or eight pages if you want to make the print so small you can't read it. But I I would recommend this to you if you want to get a, if you think you have a nominal uh, understanding of what's going on in NFTs, this will give you a little more depth, a little more understanding, and 
create some value for you. And uh, I just got a phone call from my son, so we'll be out of here in a couple of minutes, and I'll take it, and we'll go from there. So I would recommend that you get that one uh, from uh, Jeff Brown and the Bleeding Edge and Naomi Prince. Uh, Naomi Prince inside Wall Street from Saturday. So, okay, the Pew Research Center had another survey and series out, and um, I just picked out one of their things. They do a number of research items and and surveys. Obviously, that's what they do. But one that, uh, and I again, this would be helpful for you. You probably inherently know some of this stuff. It's probably bred in your genetic uh, sequencing, but it's uh, it's from the 24th, and it's Pew Research Center. It says, as inflation soars, a look at what's inside the consumer price index. They The CPI is the one you hear about in the news and all that kind of stuff, and it's bandied all about, but they list a number of consumer or pricing uh, data centers that that we should be looking at and should be examining as well. Give you real insight, as you know, I know, that, that their statements about inflation are always understated because they leave so much out of the market basket. That defines the market basket for you, tells you what's in, what's out, and tells you types of things you may want to look at or other indices you may want to examine. And finally, from Friday the 28th, the Stansbury Digest, he's got charts on the great bull market is running out of steam. He has some charts there for you to look at, may give you some insight, particularly if you like the small cap story I did earlier, and if you're interested in certain sectors and things of that nature. So that's the Stansbury Digest from Friday the 28th. They, or the the Digest claims that the cycles are now turning. So that may be something you want to keep in mind as you look at it. Hey, folks, stay immune if you can. This has been Living Liberty Today. I hope you stay free, be free, and live free. I'm your host, Charlie Earle.